the songs which were selected helped us focus on our joy. We are going to talk about that today. Before we get straight to joy, I want to ask you a question. Since we uh, came just off of Halloween last Sunday, I want to ask you a five-word question, and it's this. What are you afraid of? When you think of that question, I don't want you to think superficially. I, I don't want you to think about superficial and shallow things. I don't want you to maybe think about being afraid of the dark or being afraid of heights or perhaps uh, being afraid of spiders. Um, I don't know if you're afraid of spiders. The only reason I, I pay for pest control is because of my wife. And the only reason we have pest control is to prevent tiny spiders from coming into our house. Uh, if I see one, my job, my job for 22 years has been to kill it, no questions asked. And usually I have a conversation with a little guy. I'm sorry, I don't want to do this, but she cannot be reasoned with. You must be killed. To the shoe we go. Okay? But that's not really what I'm talking about. I, I want you to, if you can, really just for a moment, let yourself go to a dark place in your mind. What, what most frightens you? What is it that, that nags you in the back of your mind? What's the thing you wonder about? Is it losing your health? I was talking with a brother in Christ, fellow minister, messaging back and forth over Facebook. He had a stroke. He's in recovery, but it's drastically changed his life. Didn't see that coming. Is it your children? You worry about where they are, not just if they're out late, but do you worry about where they are? Or you, maybe your children are grown and you wonder, you wonder if they'll be in heaven. Is it financial? What happens if the, the market goes down by 40%? Economic woes? What happens when you go to the store and you see the shelves empty? Does it bring up fear? Your job. A lot of mandates happening. I've talked to several folks who, who are on the verge of losing their job they've been at for decades. And I try to reassure them and I try to encourage them. But you have to know that that fills them with fear. It's different for everyone. I asked this question on social media and I, I got a number of answers. I asked, what is it that you're afraid of? What fills you with fear 
or anxiety or worry? And the answers I got were numerous. Some said uncertainty to make changes in my lifestyle. Someone said, all caps, not being in control, which sounds like somebody with control issues, right? <laughs> I asked, what makes you afraid? They, they said, if God has a man in mind for me, and when will that be? And work, and knowing when to apply. And some people think about being alone, and that fills them with fear. Some get even deeper still, salvation. Wondering if I'm a good enough, and she went on to say, daughter. Feeling like she doesn't quite measure up. Someone simply said, dying. And if if you... If you can be silent and be still for just enough and not be distracted, there's something within us, within each of us, it's different. And sometimes there's more than one that fills us with fear. In fact, probably one of the best responses was very simply this, how much time do you have? (laughs) Worry and anxiety, and she went on to list a whole lot of things that weigh heavy on her heart. It's clear that the big issue that we have is fear. And it's cousins, anxiety, and worry. Have you noticed, have you noticed how much fear and anxiety and worry our world is filled with these days. I was talking with a a mother before service. She has a heart for ministering to kids. And she was telling me about, not any of you specifically, she was telling me about kids in your age range. And she said that these kids, she works in a school, and she says these kids... 13 and 14 and 15, 16 years old are cutting themselves. Because they're filled with fear and anxiety and worry. And it breaks her heart and it breaks mine. Because you're so young to be carrying so much. It's real. It's heavy. And I can tell you this, that God did not intend His children To live this way. And I'm not just talking about children. I'm talking about children. God did not intend us to be filled with fear and anxiety and worry. And yet so many of us 
are. And so if you are, as Mark said this morning, he did a great job. I want to fill you with hope. Not just for today, but in the next several weeks to come. Because that's what this series is about giving us hope, about giving us a sense of calm in a world filled with chaos. Over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking about what the Scripture says. Now, what Toby says, Toby's going to say it, but he's going to tell you what the Scripture says is the fix to our fears. What the scripture says is the answer to our anxiety and what the scripture says on what to do with worry. Our key text is going to be the book of Philippians and we're specifically going to be in chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, open it to Philippians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, grab one in front of you. And by the way, if you're a guest especially, If you don't have a Bible, that Bible in front of you is now yours. Just write your name in it, highlight in it, write important things in it. Most of all, use it. And and if you don't know where Philippians chapter 4 is, turn in that pew Bible to page 1,258. Because the last thing I want you to do is be filled with more anxiety that you don't even know where Philippians 4 is. So I'll just give you a page number, okay? This is going to be our key text. We're going to be in Philippians 4, verse 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8. And and we're going to be hanging out here. The Bible has a lot to say about fear, anxiety, and worry. But we're going to anchor here in Philippians chapter 4. And learn about what the Bible says about fear, anxiety, and worry. Now, if you don't know anything about Philippians, let me give you a brief background on it. The first thing you know is that the, the, the theme throughout the book is one simple word, and it's joy. You'll see joy or some variant of joy all throughout this book. In fact, it's mentioned more times in Philippians than any other place in the New Testament. Now, what's interesting is that Philippians is what we call a prison epistle which is a fancy biblical way of saying Paul wrote this from a prison cell. Some of you may not know what letters are, these these ancient pieces of paper, and you would write things down on them, and, and we would exchange letters back and forth. That was an ancient system in the late 1900s. You may have heard of it. Paul, in Philippians chapter 1, says this. I know Philippians 4 is our key text. But he says, And most of the brothers, having become confident, this is verse 14, become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Wait a second, I thought you were going to talk about fear and anxiety and worry, and now you're talking about some guy who's in a prison? That's my point. Because when we talk about joy, we're not talking about our external circumstances. We're talking about something much more deep than that. And we'll that more a little bit more this morning. Philippians chapter you should already Philippians chapter four, verse four is where we're going to start. If you know the song, you know the verse, Rejoice in the Lord 
always, again I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. One translation says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, if you're following along, underline right there. If you've got fear, anxiety, worry, and you need the peace of God, go to verse 7, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Today we're, we're just going to look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. It's a one-word command, rejoice. But it's so important that Paul repeated himself. The Holy Spirit repeated himself. I will say it again, rejoice. Why? Why, why repeat? We heard it once, why repeat it again? Well, It's important. Anytime you see something repeated in Scripture, the Holy Spirit is trying to get our attention. Rejoice. Again, I will say it. Rejoice. Now, now my really simple answer into why this command is repeated is because of this. We human beings are people of the flesh. And there is something about the flesh that defaults to the negative. There is something about the flesh that defaults to the to the negative. Let me ask you, what do you see on this next slide? You heard it, a black dot, right? Thank you. Okay? But what's really there is a white screen with a black dot on it. It's a simple point, but it's easier to focus on the negative than on the positive. To be a problem finder is much easier than to be a problem solver or a good finder. It's much easier to complain about what isn't than to appreciate what is. It's so much within our nature to worry over what could go wrong than to dwell on what could go right. Why do we do that? It's a problem of our nature. This is weird. On Sundays, when we have a full house, you know, a full house, like when you, like, you're, you're reserving the spot with your Bibles, which is sort of a holy way to do an unholy thing, and you're seeing a, you know, like kind of spreading out here, and you're, and, and you're trying to just make space, right, because there's no space to be had, and it's full. And, and I'll sit usually on the front row right before the introduction, and I'm scanning the crowds, and I'm seeing full of people and guests, and, and I'm just so glad to see everybody. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of all that joy comes this creeping thought, this is sick. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. What would happen? What would happen if someone came in here intending to do harm? You ever have that thought in a full crowd on Sunday morning to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth? Now, you need to know if you've ever had that thought that we have a team of secured James doing a great job. We've got all sorts of great volunteers that are ready. If the worst for happens, God forbid. But I'm just making the point. There's something within our nature that can't let everything be good. 
there's something that always waits for the other shoe to drop. Always feels like something must go wrong. There must always be a problem. Surely something terrible is about to happen. Let me, let me illustrate for you. If you would, please, close your eyes. Now, some of you are already there, and I appreciate that. Close your eyes and picture with me. We're going to the movies. You're watching. The scene is this. It is a dark night, but it's lit enough where you can see that the snow is falling. And as the the camera pans out, you see that there is a snow-lit night, and there is a, a single car traveling along the road. And the road's clear. There's snow to the right and the left. And there's a family. We zoom in and we see this family is happy and joyful and they're singing and they're having a good time and they're driving along the road in the, on this snowy dark night and everything's good. And the camera pans out and there's a, there's a turn up ahead in the road. Now, what's about to happen? You can open your eyes. Sorry, you have to say, wait for the rest of the sermon. What's about to happen? The worst, right? This family can't be happy and joyful and singing and enjoying a trip to grandma's on a, on a snowy winter evening. No, they're about to veer off the side of the road in the curve, aren't they? Ah, is, we've, we've been trained to think this way. Why? It's within our nature to default to the negative. The question is, here's the problem, it's within our nature. How do I fix something that's within my nature? I look at that and all I see is the dot. I can't take my focus off anything else except the dot. Some people find fault like there's a reward for it. Some people can find a cloud in every silver lining. Do you have some Eeyores in your life? Are you an Eeyore? I don't know, sermon's going a little long. Yep, you're an Eeyore, okay? The answer, you see, to the problem of it being within our nature is this. We need a new nature. And that, that is where we get to hope. True joy, you see. True joy starts with Jesus. Some of you have been waiting for the scriptures. Good, good for you. Turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. The angel's announcement to the shepherds. Luke chapter 2. This is a dark night. And there's a bright light. And the shepherds are filled with fear. Just like you were. And the angel. Luke chapter 2 verse 10. Page 1100 in the Pew Bible says... Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Turn to the book of John, John chapter 15, this promised Jesus would minister, would grow up, would minister for three years, and near the end of his life, he's speaking to his Students, his disciples, chapter 15, verse 11, he says this, these things, page 1157, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in 
you and that your joy may be full. You see, true joy starts with Jesus. You know the old acronym, J-O-Y, Jesus first, right? But it's really true. I'm not just talking about joy in the sense of thinking positive and Zig Ziglar and just work yourself up into an emotional positivity. That's not what we're talking about. Joy, you see, is deeper than happiness. Happiness is kind of shallow and circumstantial, but but joy is deeper and lasting. Jesus is about ready to go to the cross. And he says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You say, how could he do that? He's going to the cross. Good, glad you asked. Turn to chapter 16 of John. John 16, verse 22. So also, you have sorrow now. See, Jesus isn't denying the fact that life is hard and there are trials and difficulties. But he says this, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice. And no one will take your joy from you. Do you read that again? So also, you have sorrow now. See, that joy doesn't just mean happiness. They were going to be sad. They were going to have hard times when Jesus left them. But he says, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice. And no one will take your joy from you. Turn one more chapter over. Chapter 17. Verse 13 of John. These things I speak in the world. That they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. True joy is much deeper than happiness. True joy is what Jesus was talking about. Went went much deeper than the momentary sorrow they were about to experience. True joy is much more lasting. True joy is in a deeper hope that even if you have sorrow today, I'm looking at you. I'm I'm looking at you. Hear me. I'm, 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 I'm looking across the crowd right now. I'm seeing people who are experiencing trouble. On the job. Some people who are facing cancer diagnosis. Some people are having trouble in their marriage. I'm looking at you. Look at me. Look at me. Hear me. Just because you have joy doesn't mean that life gets easy. In fact, with following Jesus, life sometimes gets much harder. But we have an anchor. It's much deeper than the troubles and the sorrows of today. I'm not dismissing your trouble or hardship. I'm pointing you to something deeper than today. So if joy starts with Jesus, then as his body, we should overflow with that joy. As we said, happiness happiness is temporary. Some people use the word joy and happiness interchangeably and and there's, there's a difference we need to understand. Happy, happy is related to the word happenstance. It just happens that way. 
The joy is much more intentional. It's much deeper. It's based on the precious promises. Joy, you see, I'm sorry, happiness is the mood of the people on the ship when seas are calm and when the sun's shining down and there is no wind. That's happiness, but joy, joy is the anchor that holds that vessel firm when the wind and the waves overtake. Joy is the anchor. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount, best sermon ever preached. At the end of the Beatitudes, which are the attitudes of disciples, Jesus says this, page 1039, Matthew 5, verse 11. You see, some people take the, the, the word that he used here is blessed. Blessed, 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 blessed. Some people say, well, Jesus is saying happy, happy, happy. <laughs> you know, Jesus is one of those Duck Dynasty boys. He's just happy, happy, happy. That's kind of a shallow interpretation of blessed. Think about it. Look at, look at, look at verse 11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessed means not just happy. It's much deeper than that. It speaks to the joy. That's what he says in verse 12. Rejoice and be glad. You may face hard times, but you're still anchored in an eternal Savior. You may have hardship today, but you have a promise for tomorrow and eternally in Christ Jesus. Rejoice when you're being reviled and persecuted. The first century church went, underwent all sorts of persecution. Jesus says, blessed are you? Oh, these were not happy times. But they had a hopeful Savior. They had a joy that was deeper than the moment. I have said these things to you. That you may have peace. In the world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. You see, these things seem like a a very odd juxtaposition. I have said these things that you may have peace. Right next to it, he says, in this world, you're going to have trouble. How can you have peace and trouble at the same time? With Jesus. With Jesus. The hope is much deeper than the temporary troubles we have. Their world was dark with many troubles. And yet their perspective was much, much different. Think about it. The first century church viewed it this way. Joy doesn't always fix your problem. Jesus doesn't always fix your problem. Oh, I know that's heresy to some, but listen to me now. There are some that preach that following Jesus is health and wealth and prosperity and good parking spots and a blessing financially and a blessing in your health and just name it and claim it. And that's not in here. Jesus never promised a life free from trouble. He did promise a change in our perspective 
Unflappable joy seems to be a part of the Christian DNA. If you just study the church and the followers of Jesus, it doesn't seem like anything could stop them. Turn to Acts chapter 5. Let's look at a couple of examples of this unflappable joy. Acts chapter 5, verse 40 and following. When they had called in the apostles, oh, oh, just listen. That sound of pages turning gives me joy. Verse 40, when they had called in the apostles, they beat them. You feeling pretty happy now? And they charged him not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. You couldn't stop them. (laughs) They tried to beat Jesus out of them, and they couldn't do it. They just couldn't touch their joy. They couldn't take it from them. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. Page 1208. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that the suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You going through hard times? Good. Because God's doing something in you. Oh, you, you went from preaching to meddling, preacher. Listen to me now. If you are suffering, that is a wonderful opportunity for God to give you a testimony a story, a maturity, a growth in your faith, and hope for the future. 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Page 1264. 1264 chapter 1 verse 6. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction. With the joy of the Holy Spirit. And last one, James chapter 1, page 1291. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect. That you may be mature and complete Lacking in nothing. How could Christians have joy in all of their troubles? Why, how, how, how was it that this church that was so persecuted and, and so, I mean, they, they had much less than we have. They were persecuted much more than we are. And yet they had, to, to me, it seems like much deeper joy. How is that? Here it is. Our joy is based in the eternal. And not in the external. Our joy is based in the eternal. Not in the external. 
I'm going to give you a bonus verse. I know, you're so excited. You're filled with joy, aren't you? Acts chapter 16, go there. This story will bless you. Acts chapter 16, 22 and following. The story is the story of the church. It's, Acts is all about the Acts of the apostles in the early church. Buried in the middle of Acts chapter 16 is the story of Paul and Silas as they're on this missionary journey. And we focus in, in verse 22. They've, they've been through quite an ordeal. They've been attacked. They've cast out this demon from this girl. The, the owners of the girl got all angry. They turned the crowd against them. And it says this, verse 22, the crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them, so they were naked, number one. They gave orders to beat them with many rods, so they were naked and they were beaten. And when they had inflicted on them many blows, so they were naked, beaten, and beaten harshly, then they threw them into prison. So they're naked, beaten, beaten harshly, thrown into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison, which is like for the worst of the worst, where they were fastened with their feet in the stocks, so they couldn't even move. Imagine how he feels when your legs fall asleep. They were in the stocks. They had been beaten, beaten harshly, naked. They were disgraced. They were in prison unjustly. And what does the Scripture say in, in a very dark moment in their life? Verse 25. Now imagine this. It's dark. It's another dark scene. We're, we're, we're looking at the city. The, the, the camera's closing in. We, we see a small, tiny window in the cell. We focus in. We zoom through. And we see Paul and Silas. And it's dark there. We can barely make out their faces. But it's not about what we see. It's about what we hear Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. In this moment when they've been, they're naked and ashamed, they've been beaten and beaten harshly, they've been thrown in prison, they're in the stocks, when everything should be going against them, in the middle of the night, you hear, through strained chords, no doubt, Paul singing, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Silas is like, where? Down in my heart, where? You get the point? They couldn't beat the joy of Jesus out of the church. Why? Because they had a deeper hope. And no one could steal their joy from them. They could take everything from them, but they couldn't take their joy. Because their joy was based on the eternal, not the external. And so, Christian, wherever you are today, May your joy be rooted in the eternal and not the external. So I ask you, what do you have to fear? I'm not saying your fears aren't legitimate. I'm saying, what do you have to truly fear? What can the enemy do in your life? What thoughts can he put in your head? What, how can he take your joy? He can't if you don't let him. What do you have to be afraid of? 
nothing. Our, our external conditions can, can change all the time. Think about it. Look where we are today, today, in our nation, compared to just a year ago today. Think about it. Think about how the externals have changed. The, the, the prices are up. The, the, the jobs are down. We see the pictures of supply chain issues. We see empty shelves and people losing their jobs. These are externals, people. Don't tie your joy to the externals. Sink it in deep with the eternal joy of Jesus. Doesn't matter what happens today. I got hope for tomorrow. In 2021, a lot of the externals have gotten worse. But I hope your eternals have gotten better. In 2121, very few of what you of the things you worry about today will even matter. Gas, gas is like three bucks a gallon. In 2021, I will tell you that will not matter to you. I can't find the stuff I need for my Christmas shopping. In 2021. It will not matter to you. I hope your hope is in the eternals and not the externals. And so we must do what Paul commanded us to do. So much did he want us to do it that he said it twice. Rejoice. And again I say it. Rejoice. What will matter in 2121 is if you have followed Jesus. If you have made the decision to put on Christ... Knowing Him is the only fix for your fear. Knowing Him, trusting Him, is the only antidote for your anxiety. Obeying Him is the only eternal remedy to your worries. And so if you need to put on Christ, I'm going to encourage you to do that so that you might be free from worry and anxiety and fear. But if you're in Christ, here's the challenge I want to give you today. I want you to choose joy each day. And then I want you to keep choosing joy. When you leave here, will you say, man, that sermon, Toby, I never think he can go longer, but then he always beats his own record. Will you complain over that or will you be joyful that the preacher had plenty to teach you? When you leave here and you face those orange construction cones, will you complain about the constant construction or will you rejoice that they are fixing the roads? Will you complain over some youth group thing you didn't get, you didn't like some bad thing that happened, Jeff ought to do this or that, or will you be filled with joy of all the good things he's doing? You get a choice to rejoice. And you got to make that choice again and again and again. That's my challenge for you with this week and all the weeks to come. Regardless of your externals, may you tie your joy and your hope to the eternal joy of Jesus. This morning, if you have a need, whether it's to put on Christ or you need some prayers over your walk with Christ, we've got shepherds who will be at the back to help tend to those needs, help you in any way that we can, but mostly want to help you to rejoice. And the only way you can do that is with Jesus. Whatever your need might be, won't 
you come straight to the back as together we stand and sing.